Hey, my friend, it's Julie Clough here, your life and grief coach. Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast. I'm grateful to be here with you today to sit in this space and be. Be with the grief and in the healing, to create space for peace and to share hope for rebuilding your life one small step at a time. Let's get started. Hello, welcome to episode 167. I have Andrea Hips with me here today and excited to jump into that interview with her and talk to her about all the good things. She's got a lot of goodness for us today. But first, I want to introduce Andrea. Andrea Hips is a certified divorce coach and an author who helps parents all along the divorce continuum resolve their divorce debris and create beautiful to address families for their kids. She's the author of the internationally best selling book, The Best Worst Time of Your Life Four Practices to Get You Through the Pain of Divorce, which outlines the four practices you need to create wholeness and healing for you and your kids before, during, and after divorce. As a regular contributor to our nation's divorce recovery conversation, she's been featured on NBC, ABC, Fox, and The CW discussing how we can do divorce better for the sake of ourselves and our families. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. I love being here and I love seeing your face. I love seeing your face too. Andrea and I met as we were working on her divorce summit that's coming up and which one reason why I invited her to come on today and share some of her story and some of her experiences and give us all all the good stuff. I love, by the way, I love the title of your book, The Best Worst Time of Your Life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's how a lot of people describe it with divorce. On the back end, they certainly don't describe it that way when they're in the middle of it. But on the back end, they're like, you know what? That was awful. And I really like who I've become now. I'm sad that it took divorce to become that person. Isn't that the truth? I have yeah. often thought about that. I When I went through my divorce many years ago, and I could have used an, an Andrea during that myself. And, and I uh, definitely on the other side of that, I was like, wow. Why, why did I have to wait so long to discover myself? It's just weird to me. And it continues to be weird to me that pain is typically the preferred invitation of the world to get us to go to the places we needed to go to tidy up the areas we weren't willing to look at. Yeah, so true. So what brought you to this work of being a divorce coach? Yeah, I went through my own divorce over a decade ago. And when I was going through it, I felt very, um, uninspired by the the people around me who were divorced. I, I felt like people had a lot of lingering bitterness. I felt like they had a lot of unresolved storylines. It felt tense and it felt uncomfortable. And I didn't want to end up in a space where I had that to be my narrative for the rest of my life. And so I started working really hard at what would it take to end up somewhere very, very different. And it took a whole lot. (laughs) Um, So in my time doing that, I sort of started to collect people around me who were also interested in creating something different. And from there, really got encouraged to do divorce coaching. At the time, I really pushed it off because, you know, there's that line of make sure you speak from the scar and not the wound. 
And I felt that I still had quite a few wounds, quite a few things that weren't sort of worked out. I, I was still learning how to be the hero of my own story. I wasn't ready to be a guide to someone else's hero story. And over time, it became clear um, that I was ready. And so I jumped in and now I feel really excited to work with people who are looking to redefine what divorce means. Nobody wants to be getting a divorce, (laughs) but if you have to be getting one, how could it be beautiful? These are the kinds of people I work with in it. And we make some really great stories out of it. That's awesome. You know, as you were talking and you were talking about, you know, the bitterness and the kind of leftover pain that's, that's in the story. It's almost like if we don't do the work of resolving those pain points, then we live our life from this space of what went wrong instead of what are the possibilities for the future. Absolutely. And I think the natural course of events, and you know this because you've walked through this, is you will end up bitter and angry. You, you have to do conscious work to go in a different direction. You probably started out, I want to have an amicable divorce. Or if you didn't want the divorce, well, if we're going to have one, I want it to try to be amicable. Everybody starts there. Newsflash. Nobody starts out and says, let's just torch the whole thing and make it really hard on everybody. People say, let's just be rational. Let's be reasonable. I just want what the law, you know, will, will that I'm entitled to under the law. And from there, it devolves and it devolves very quickly and you devolve very quickly. And so it really takes a lot of conscious attention to create something in the opposite direction. It does. And and that's, that's true of just life in general. Our, Our brains just naturally gravitate to the negative, to the, to the pain points, to the, and, and when we have all those pain points in our past, which divorce is this huge experience because a lot of times it it's a lot of pain points that lead up to this big pain point of of a divorce and so it's really easy to get stuck in that mire of and and it really it goes into this place of everything has gone wrong Mm-hmm. So we start to create when, when, when something has gone wrong, which is major, like a, a marriage, then all of a sudden it feels like life has gone wrong. Everything has gone wrong. Yeah. I made so many mistakes or I've, I've heard so many people say I should have never married that person. And I never had that experience. I, from the beginning, I always felt like I never felt like I should have never married him. And I know that's a lot of people's experiences. Almost everybody I've ever spoken to has said, I, I, I should have never married him or I should have never, never married her. Um, and I had a little bit of a different experience, but yeah, it's difficult. So yeah. what is one of the first things that you share with people when they are either in the middle of a divorce or they're fresh from a divorce, what's one of the first things that you share with them to kind of help them move them along? Well, probably like you, I I start with generally a time frame and and a framework for the amount of time that integrating this change and integrating this pain can typically take. And of course, it's unique for everybody and based so much on, you know, the different mini storylines of your overall story. But, you know, with divorce, 
a lot of people think the hardest part is getting to that point where you actually say, I need a divorce, right? People will spend five or 10 years even thinking about getting a divorce. And when they finally decide I'm going to get the divorce, they feel like the hard work's done because the hard work was the hard part was figuring out I need to get the divorce. And, and I it like, just began. <laughs> that's right. So usually, you know, I say that's at least a year to figure out that you're going to get divorced at, at least a year to get divorced. And that's in a good situation. Another year to go through the, the firsts, the first holiday, the first year birthday, the first anniversary, all of those things you have to go through. And then another year where you go back and look at that first year and go, well, how do we make that less? And you start to work at how do I optimize that again? That is, it is at least at minimum, a four-year disruption in your life. Mm-hmm. And most people don't think that. They think, I, may, I did the hard work to decide I'm going to get divorced. Now I'm going to go to an attorney and within a few months, it'll be done. And this other person that I'm married to will be rational and reasonable and easy. And then we'll just wrap it up and, and everybody will be fine. And so I really do start with, are you prepared to talk yourself through and have a new conversation with yourself about this process? And are you ready to be the the project manager of your own disruption? And, and more importantly, the disruption that your kids will also experience. For sure. And, th- and that is that is a real difficulty for any parent going through any loss is this, not only do we have to manage our own experience, but we're also in this place of trying to manage our kids' experience, which we can't, I mean, you know, fully, mm-hmm. but we do want to minimize the impact for our kids and, and all those experiences. And, and do you find as I, as I work with people, I can, I find sometimes that they, they get so involved in managing their kids' emotions that they don't even pay attention to themselves. Yeah, I think there is a little bit of that for sure. I do think that people hyper-focus on what it is is going on with the kids. And I think they find their silence, particularly our, our older teen set, you know, sort of post-sixth grade set who really doesn't want to talk about the divorce and doesn't want to talk about how they're feeling about the divorce and is because they're frankly far busier worried about what they're going to wear and what they look like and who's talking to who and right. They're doing the things of childhood that they should be doing, but it can be very disturbing to parents that they're not processing their grief like a 40 year old woman would. And so just kind of helping people understand they're going through it. They have no choice, but to organize their life around the family they were given. And so they're figuring it out. What they most need is you to figure out you. Right. And, and that's the complicated part of divorce, I think, for people is when you're going through the grief of of a loss of a spouse or a loss of a loved one or loss of a child, you loved that person. You want to have more of that person in your now. When you're going through divorce, even if you didn't want the divorce, typically at some point it switches where you're like, I don't even really like them anymore. So right. this grief, whatever this thing is that I keep crying about, or I keep not being able to focus on or not be able to get through is super weird because I wouldn't want him or her back, even if I could right now. And yet I'm still lost. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah for sure. It's it's definitely a confusing, a confusing experience. And, and then with kids along the way too, they still want to be with that parent. They still have that desire, depending on the circumstances, there's, there's a, 
definitely a range of emotions on that and, and yeah. trying to, trying to manage your own reaction to what's going on and, and respect the child's relationship with their parent. Mm-hmm. And That's, a lot of that is being able to silo, silo off your own experience and silo off their experience and let it be the thing that it is. And I always sort of walk people through um, the, this, this transition curve. I'm kind of taking a curve and going down and then up. And when you first start through change, you know, you are confronted with all these wild and, and at times dark emotions on your way to this neutral place that then kicks into a place where you're willing to peek into what the future might look like and you start to get creative and you start to think maybe there's something there, right? So everybody kind of goes on that loop. The the tricky part with divorce is all of the people in the family are all on their own down and back up. So you've got the person who wanted the divorce, who has been thinking about it for years. They already traveled down all the tricky emotions, right? They went down to the bottom and they're like, you know what? I think the other side is going to be better. They're already moving into that space. That's usually when they tell their partner. So now the partner's back in all the dark emotions of denial and shock and trying to get you back into it. And what, how could you be here? And what, how come you don't care? Why are you already over there? And then you've got telling your kids and now they start with denial and shock and all the things that they have to go through. So you've got every person in your family colliding at a different emotional space and it can feel very overwhelming and very scary. But I think the, the mature sort of project manager of disruption, as I would call the, the, the head of the family that's sort of leading people through this, the, the key role for the project manager is to allow everyone to be where they are. Yeah. That's it. It's kind of the easiest and hardest thing you'll ever have to do is to simply allow them to be stuck, angry, withdrawn, whatever it is they are. When you allow it, you've done your job. And I think instead, particularly the mothers want to get into a space of, I got to get it fixed. We got to get this oiled. We got to get it cranking again. We got to get it moving. We don't want to lose time. We don't want them to get depressed. We want to make sure they still go to college. All the anxiety starts to ratchet up. And instead, really just allowing people to be where they are gives tremendous amount of space for them to get on the part of the curve they need to be on and move as they should through it. That is beautiful advice for anybody experiencing any type of loss. There's when there's multiple people involved, which there always are, right? Whether it's divorce or death or any other type of loss, there's always more than one person involved and everyone's going to be on their own journey. And we have to allow everyone their process and I think that's really challenging for us as human beings. We want to, and we see the effects of that when we have people telling us, you know, if we're, if we're the person, if, you know, you're experiencing the loss and then you have people telling you it's time to move on or it's, it's um, you know, you just got to carry this. So just buckle up and be okay now. And that's not helpful either because they're not allowing our process. And we get to do the same thing for other people. We get to allow people their process. I love that. Yeah. But you know, what's hard about that though, is we've decided the best and highest way to process is to talk and to cry. Mm. And if the person we are with is not talking and crying, we discount that process as not the one you're supposed to be on. 
And so I think that's particularly hard when we're looking at teens who aren't interested in crying with you, who are a lot of times not even interested in processing with you. And we go, well, then they're not doing it. And they are doing it. And they might be processing it inside of themselves and they might be processing it with a friend and thank God you hired the therapist and they might be processing with them. But when you get one dimensional about what you think grief should look like for a human being or what someone moving through a big transition ought to be doing, you've really got yourself in a rough spot and you're going to mostly just be disappointed that they're never doing the thing that you thought they should be doing or doing the thing that frankly just worked for you and doesn't necessarily work for them. For sure. And amen, because it's, it's really about that visibility. So when we see people doing something, then we think that they're the ones that are actually processing it. But if we don't see it, if it's not visible, then it's, then it's discounted. It's, it doesn't actually exist. Yeah. That's, that's not reality. But then you have to kind of call your own bluff because let's say you have the kid who is sort of moving along and sort of doing things, but not crying or talking to you about it. Then all of a sudden they start crying and they start talking to you about it. Then you're like, Oh my gosh, they're crying too much. And they're talking about it way too much. And they're way too focused on it. Right. So you don't even realize you don't want the thing that you don't have (laughs) and you don't want the thing you do have. So it's, it's complicated all around and, and having grace for yourself and the fact that everybody's on this different course is, um, is really important. For sure. And, and it feels like when we have grace for ourselves, we have compassion for ourselves. We so much more easily give that to others too. Right. We are, we are so much more compassionate and, and, and speaking of grace, you know, something you said earlier about expecting the, the X to be rational um, and I think we do that to ourselves too. Like, you know, we start yes. out with this process and we mm-hmm. go, okay, this is the way it's going to go. And there's no way that it goes smoothly without a lot of heightened emotion and with heightened emotion comes heightened reaction. And so um, how can someone who has, ha- has gone through, like they've gone through that first year of the divorce happening. And then they've gone through that year of first, and then they're looking back and they're just like, now they're upset with themselves that they didn't handle it better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Regret is a beautiful thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there's a really great novel. I don't know if you've read it. It came out, I think a few years ago, a couple of years ago called Midnight Library. I think Bruce Haig wrote it. Like Matthew Haig wrote it. And um, it's a fictional story, but it's basically you go into uh, a library and each of the books in the library is a version of your life that you didn't live. And so you can pick one out. And this is the version where you didn't marry him. And this is the version where you didn't go to that school. And this is the version where you took that job or this is a version where you quit that job. Because we think in our minds, I want to have that life, but I want to cherry pick out or put back in a singular thing that would make it better or worse. But what it shows in all of these books, and this doesn't spoil the book if you want to go read it, is everything changes when one thing changes. Yeah, Yeah, you didn't marry him, but your mom died. Yeah, you quit the job, but you also didn't get the better job. Like you, everything is always shifting. And so I think for people to understand that, At all times, asking yourself, am I doing my best? Even if my best looks like a pile of poo right now, it is my best. And being able to tell yourself that's the best I could do with what I knew at that point. And now I'm at this point. 
And that might mean I have some course correction to do. That might mean I have some apologizing to do. That might mean I have some reading to do. Whatever it is you're waking up to, its purpose is not to send you backward into regret. Its purpose is to fuel you. That's the best way we can deal with regret, right? That's what studies show. When you address your regret through future forward action. So really taking that and going, well, what now? Now, now that I do know that, I can't go back there, but what do I do now to start to make more beautiful the thing that is ahead of me, is what I would suggest. And that is that is huge, huge self-awareness and, and just being real with ourselves, being compassionate for where we were, recognizing that we we're always doing the best that we could in the moment with what we had. And I love that the your... Um, talking about midnight library talking about that book because i see all the time like we we make decisions based on our best guess of the outcome and and when that outcome doesn't come out the way we think it should then we go back to the other two or three choices that we had that say oh i should have done this but the reality is the outcome that we had planned for that thing is not going to be the same as what we thought it was going to be either so <laughs> yeah we're always just doing the best we can absolutely absolutely yeah. and i think trying to become the kind of person who like i i have teenagers and one of the things that i'm always trying to ask myself is am i raising them to be people who can encounter disruption with a healthy perspective. Can they have all of the cards thrown up and understand that they will figure out how to put them back together? Can and it's not like I'm trying to introduce disruption to like test them, right? But do I do I let them know the normal course of events is not that you get on this little you click into some gear and it just like kind of sends you through that. You remember that old cartoon, The Jetsons, where they just went through and their hair got done and then their teeth got brushed and everything was kind of done. You don't get on this like little ride where everything's smooth and and then like oh no, there was a bump. It's bumps. If you get a smooth section, deeply enjoy it because you know what's coming next? A bump. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when you're in the bump, do you know what you need to know? It's temporary. There's a smooth section coming again. And I think once we can get used to, I think Richard Rohr calls it this decent, ascent type of life where we're really starting to not expect that we're always at the ascent, but that we are a people of both and that we have more capacity for both when we don't resist the fact that we think we shouldn't be going into the descent that we get mm, periodically. Yeah. Yeah. So important. Yeah. And that really creates for kids to understand that it creates some resilience in them. It yeah. creates that ability to ride the bumps and not feel like the the whole world has fallen apart and that it's never going to get any better. And it's just I, unfortunate, I know. though, that, that it's always these incredible experiences come on the back end of bumps. And, and that's an interesting conversation. And I have that with my kids sometimes. Like, this is so awesome because it used to not be. This is so incredible because remember when it wasn't? This incredible is higher. Not And again, not because we want to have the bumps and we want to have the disruption, but because this is humanity. So then we don't get so startled when we have a down. And we don't start thinking things like I screwed up and my life should end and things like that. We just go, here I am again, and I'll be here again and again and again mm-hmm. and again and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those things that we learn with experience, but that our kids need to understand at some level, even without the perspective of years, 
Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're in your first of many bumps. Yeah. 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 We're, we're, we're on, we're in the triple quadruple digits for it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Um, so tell us a little bit about this summit and what, what people can expect, what your, um, just tell us some of the highlights we want to hear. Yeah, about this is summit. my, this is my third divorce differently summit. And I really, you know, I had a, a moment one time when I was, I was Googling the word acceptance. That was like my thing with divorce. I just like, if I could just accept it, then this, all this nonsense would be over. And I remember one night I stumbled on somebody who did a whole lot of writing on that and a whole lot of speaking. And I just basically devoured everything that he put out on the internet one night. And I have a goal of exposing people to their next person that they need for the next chunk of their divorce. Obviously, I'm not the speaker everybody needs. Everybody needs something at some point that kicks them into the next aha. And before we started recording, we were talking about how your recovery is a thousand ahas. And you need to know when you've expired the usefulness of one (laughs) and start getting the new ones from the next person. So I pulled together over 12 speakers who are all experts in their fields and obviously have you on there talking about grief. I've got a doctor talking about stress. I've got an attorney talking about mediation. I've got all kinds of people talking about the wide range of emotions. So you have the logistical experience of divorce and you have the emotional experience of divorce. And we're talking about all of it. And my goal is to get you in front of 12 people. I think you need to be listening to, to help shape the next stretch of ahas that you need. And to give you quite a few ahas during the summit too. And then to also get you started thinking about how to divorce differently, because you will only divorce differently If you choose to divorce differently, your partner or soon to be former partner does not need to participate in order for you to divorce differently. And so we're just talking about some of the concepts that people sometimes don't address until way after their divorce. Like, how do I manage my rage? How do I deal with the bravery of telling people that this is happening in my life? And how do I sort of embrace and sustain myself through three or four years of disruption in my physical body? What do I do to take care of myself? So It's a love letter to anyone who is thinking about divorce or in the middle of divorce or frankly coming out of divorce. Some of those um, logistical things may be resolved for you, but I know the emotional things are still untied. And so it's free. You listen in for a week, you get a boost in the right direction, and hopefully you get connected to some more people who can keep speaking to you to kind of give you guardrails for the person you want to be during all this. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm I'm really excited about it. And I I know i truly enjoyed our interview. It was, it was lively. It was a great, great conversation. One of the things that came to mind was the experience for someone who, so in a divorce, typically, typically it's not both people deciding at the same time they want a divorce. There's, there's rarely is rarely, rarely is that the case, right? So there's usually one person, like you said, who's further along the the downward curve headed back Mm -hmm. up. That's decided they're ready to move on. And then the other person is shocked and they had done that, that pathway. A couple of things I, I would love your, your input on what a lot of times the person who made the decision for the divorce they're they're already forward looking. They're always already like, okay, I know that this isn't this isn't where I want to be. This isn't where I'm going to continue. 
where do I want to be? And they're moving that direction. Uh But the person who was blindsided, Uh the person who was shocked, sometimes I will meet people who have been divorced for 20 plus years and they're still in this space of, you know, my life didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. This Mm -hmm. shouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Is there any, is there anything that you can say to someone who, who's in that predicament where they, this isn't what they wanted, Mm -hmm. but they they haven't been able to like stop the train and the divorce is happening, whether they want it or not. Yeah. I, I sympathize with that. I was one of those people as well. And it is, you feel entitled to your resistance because wait, it takes two of us to get married, but only one person gets to decide it's a divorce. I mean, it's a real, um, it's just, it, it helps, it, it fights against our need to be the authorities in our own lives when it feels like someone else has done something to us like that. And I think a big part of addressing that is acknowledging, and this is, you know, this is a little bit of a stretch for some people that there is no way it's supposed to be. We made that up. You made that up. Who knows how it was supposed to be? It might not have been that you were ever supposed to marry that person either. We don't know how it was supposed to be, but the art of moving on, I always tell people, my clients, if they're listening, healing is aligning yourself with reality. You will not heal unless and until you align yourself with the reality. And if reality is you're divorced, that's the reality you have to start aligning yourself with. It takes far more energy for you to resist that reality than it does to get in the river and start floating in the direction the current is going. And to start, it, it, it honestly, it, I think one of the things I would suggest is that the first definition of forgiveness that I worked with and that I sometimes give to my clients to work with is forgiveness just means letting him or her get away with it. They're going to get away with it. They're going to get away with dropping you, with just dumping you, with leaving you, with abandoning you, with ruining the kids, with throwing away the wealth. They are sadly, they're going to get away with it. There will be little to no justice for what they just did. And the question is always now what? Mm -hmm. It's always now what? Because if you want to be sour the rest of your life, no one's going to stop you. And people will probably feel that you even are entitled to that. But if you're reaching out to somebody like you, wondering, what do I do with this? There's some part of you that doesn't want this anymore. And I have another jingle that I sing, which is, in order to get new places, we have to do new things, right? So they want to get to the new place, but they want to do the old things of holding on and being entitled to their you know, rejection and their pity and and their stuck places. But in order to get to new places, they're going to get away with it and you're going to have to become beautiful. And I'm sorry. (laughs) There's a little bit of having to look in the mirror. You get to choose. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's kind of like we can either choose to stay in the train wreck or leave the train wreck and move on to the next. Yes. What's what's next? What's I have next? a necklace that was given to me by a dear friend in my divorce after I found this line that I loved and it was called, it said, leave the ashes, take the fire. Mm. And so many people sit in the ashes mm-hmm. and they let the fire that came from that ashes, the thing that burned is what they stay with rather than taking the fire that built in them and that developed in them or could have developed in them while we were in it and and taking that out and creating new light and new warmth in a separate space with it. 
Well, and the and the reality is, is like you said, you know, we have to align with what the reality is because people are going to be people. And and what happens is people are acting on their own thoughts and feelings. And we tend to, we tend to make everything that happens outside of us about us. Mm-hmm. And we think that our, the spouse or, or the, the friend that's rejected us or the child that's rejected or, or whatever experience that we're having that, mm-hmm. that may be very similar to divorce and that we're being separated from people that we love and mm-hmm. you know, that we have loved and cared about and that we wanted them to come along the way with us, um, that we have to allow people to be who they are and whether we like it or not. And if that's who they are and they're moving on, then we get to do the same. I, I love Byron Katie's book, um, yes. Loving What Is. Yes, agreed. Same. Loving What Is. It's it's mm-hmm. a it's a um, it, it it's actually all about this idea mm-hmm. of aligning with reality. Exactly. Yeah, and, and asking yourself what is really true. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what she does a great job of calling it out is what's the story you're telling yourself. And chances are it isn't entirely true. Mm-hmm. It's made up just like it's not supposed to be this way. It was made up or it's supposed to be this way. It was made up. And her, I feel like her invitation is really into how do I come up with the most neutral reality possible and then start deciding the story to put on top of that. You know, I, I read that a couple of years into my divorce and I couldn't digest it at that time. It, it required too much of me, but a few years later, maybe even six, seven years later, when I read it, I was boom ready for it. And what she asked me to do and what she asked me to walk back and to really check myself in the way I was thinking was totally revolutionary. Highly recommend the book. Mm-hmm, absolutely. But that resistance is real. And we have to, we have to be in that place of resistance for a time. And it's like you said that the thousand ahas that get us from point A to point B where we want to be, that's the pathway. We have these, these ahas until finally we're like, oh, now I'm aligned with what is. I, you know, I hear people say all the time, parents should never bury their children. Mm-hmm. And I've I've buried two children, and that thought, mm-hmm. you know, parents should never bury their children. That is all about resistance, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. reality is, p- parents do bury their children. As mm-hmm. sad as it is, as hard as it is, it happens. Mm-hmm. The losses that we experience in life, the this the supposed tos, the never never should have happens, all those things are not helping us. Mm-hmm. in any way. But I, I agree with you. I think that there's a point at which we are open to that concept of what is, is, and now what? Yeah. And and, a, and I think part of what you're describing there too, is that impulse in us to say, it's just not fair. And mm-hmm. I always tell people that fair is the F word of divorce. And it's likely the F word probably of grief in general. Is it something I'm willing to accept and start working with? That's the better question. It isn't fair. Nothing's ever fair. There is literally nothing fair that's happening anywhere. That wasn't a thing that we were promised either. 
And in order to get it, you'd probably have to give up some things that were not fair and were an advantage to you in order to give fairness to somebody else. So don't go looking for fair, look for (laughs) acceptable, look for how, if I did work with this today, what would working with it look like? I'm always encouraging my clients to say the girl who does have it figured out, what does she know that I haven't figured out yet? And then you start thinking like the person you know you need to become instead of being a bully to the person that you are now. Mm, yeah. What's your, and I know this is maybe a, a long answer, but it, just if someone is in experiencing a lot of emotion around a divorce or any other ex- loss experience that they, they're having right now, what are some of your tips or techniques that you give your clients to help them to um, down regulate those, you know, heightened emotions to help them kind of get back connected with themselves? What are some of your thoughts around that? You know, one of the things that I go back to over and over again, and this is in is in my book, The Best Worst Time of Your Life, is a five step question sort of reflection or inventory to take. And the first question is, what am I scared of or anxious about? So really getting specific about it, because I think with grief, it can get very generalized. Like, well, it's the divorce. I'm just scared of the divorce. Well, what is it specifically about the divorce? Well, it's lost time with my kids. Well, what is it specifically about lost time with my kids? Um, That a big thing's going to happen. I'm not going to be with them. And what scares you about the fact, right? Really keep asking until you get into the specific of what am I really scared or anxious about? And then the second question is, what can I do to self-soothe? Meaning self-soothing is something that is going to have positive outcomes for you for at least 24 hours after you do it. So self-soothing is not drinking a bottle of wine. That is a form of soothing, but it is not going to give you positive outcomes 24 hours later, right? So be asking yourself, what is it unique to me that I would enjoy that would create a soothing experience for me about this? The third question is, what do I need to confront in myself? And this is the one people don't like to do, and I don't like to do it either. But what do I need to be honest about, about how I'm handling this, about the situation, really just going, where am I off here? And what am I willing, what is the little part of that that I'm willing to see today? You don't have to see the whole picture, but what little part am I willing to see? The fourth question is, how am I contributing right now to my own unhappiness? Mm. We're all doing something to make it worse, whether that's ruminating, isolating, um, creating stories that aren't true, whatever that is for you, be honest and, and sort of ask yourself, what am I doing to contribute to my own unhappiness? And then the fifth one is the happy question. Everybody likes to do this one. And that is what is true today about me and my life, no matter what, because we need to know, even though I've hit a bump and I'm scared about this and I'm going to try to soothe it. And I'm going to try to be honest with myself. And I'm going to try to stop doing things that make it worse for myself. I need to know what's true about myself so that I can lean into the goodness of that and not always be down on myself for having yet another emotional experience. Darn you for having an emotional experience over a very important loss. Give yourself a break. You're going to have them, but you need to have a protocol. And this is sort of the, the, uh, the collect yourself protocol, right? There's the, the fight or flight is countered by the pause and plan. And this is the pause and plan kind of protocol that I want people to be getting used to doing. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, as we 
wrap up this interview, is there any like last thing that you would like to share? And then we're going to have you share where people can get connected with you, how they can get on the, um, get the information about the summit, but what, what other tip or experience or advice would you like to share? I, I love your five questions. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, the other thing I would offer is a lot of people going through divorce and through high periods of grief have a very difficult time sleeping. And I also had that experience. It was very hard to get sleep at the right hours of the day and would would wake up in the middle of the night or would wake up super early. And one of the things that has been very successful for me and also for my clients is the practice of yoga nidra, N-I-D-R-A. And it is not yoga that you have to put any kind of sports bra on for (laughs) it is yoga that you do while lying on your back, not moving. You don't move a single part of your body to do yoga. And if you just search it on the internet, you'll find 15, 20 minute meditations. And what they do is they usher you into a space that is between wakefulness and, and sleeping. And it can be restorative as a nap, or it can be an introduction into deep sleep. And it has gotten many of my clients through that 2 a.m. wake up. And I highly encourage people to connect with that rather than getting up at 2 a.m. and starting to try to go through these questions, you need rest. And I know you're not getting enough. And that's a great way to get yourself into it. That is great advice because sleep is definitely interrupted yeah. when we're emotionally, we're having emotionally heightened experiences. Yeah. It's a huge thing. And then the more sleep gets interrupted, the less we have control of our emotions. Yes, exactly. And (laughs) and it's a spiral. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So the most, the best thing we can do is to try to give as much support to that as we can. And I just, again, like I said, have had a lot of success with that practice. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Andrea, will you share with us how to get a hold of you, how to get in touch with you, where to find the divorce summit? When is it happening? All those good things. Yes. It's, Easiest to find everything about me at andreahipsdivorcecoach.com. My last name is spelled H-I-P-P-S, andreahipsdivorcecoach.com. A little box will pop up when you go to it asking you if you want to register. You can just follow that and you will be set to go. It starts September 12th, but if you're listening to this far past September 12th, no worries. You can still get access to it. Just click back on my website and I will have a way for you to still access it. September 12th is when it's live and when it's free. So that's why I want you to be on it. After that, there'll be a little charge for it. So what you can do is sign up on my website. If you're interested in having another voice in your head around how to divorce differently or how to manage yourself through divorce, please follow me on social media. I give out tons and tons and tons of free advice. I'm Andrea Hips Divorce Coach on Instagram. I am Andrea Hips Divorce Coach on Facebook, and I am Andrea Hips Divorce Coach on LinkedIn, if you're one of those people. So stay connected to me, and I will help you if you get on my mailing list through the summit. I will also be sending things out to you. Just today, I did a post on the tasks of of mourning, M-O-U, mourning. And, And we talked about the step one was grieving the loss. Step two was reorganizing your life now that there is a space. And the third step is sharing sorrow with peace. And that's a lot of what I'm helping people do. You do not get over your divorce. It surfaces at different times. 
what that loss was. I'm sure it does for you. It doesn't knock you down into bed for two days anymore, but it hits you in some meaningful way that that happened and that it hurt. And so how do we just learn to live with and incorporate and integrate really beautifully this tragic experience into our lives and into our understandings of ourselves? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure having you here. So grateful you came to share your, your gold nuggets with us today and your goodness. And we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And I just am so blessed to have cross paths with you in this little universe. And I am so grateful for all the work that you do for people who are going through grief. And I just trust you with everyone who's important to me. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Andrea. I really appreciate that. All right. Thanks for listening today. Remember, I love you. I believe in you. And we'll see you next week. Bye.